Hi, and welcome back to Politodoxy. I'm your host, Aaron Friedman. Today we have a special guest because we're going to be talking about a very important issue. And we're both passionate about this because this is not really that much talked about. Although certain things that we're going to discuss are going to be that has been already talked about. But we're going to be talking about a lot of things that probably most of you don't know. And it's important to get this message out. So this guest is the executive director of the Air Marshal National Council, retired supervisory federal air marshal, philanthropist and advocate for the for law enforcement and i'm talking about of course sonia la labasco so i would first like you to introduce yourself on your own terms and we will continue on from there well thank you so much for having me and yes i am a retired supervisory federal air marshal a little history about me um i became a law enforcement officer back in 1990 at daytona beach i worked for the city of daytona and I was there um, on midnight shift on the morning of 9-11. I had just come home from midnight shift uh, that morning of 9-11, was grabbing some breakfast. It was a little after eight o'clock, I turned the TV on. And then of course I saw the horrific actions of the first airplane crashing into the Twin Tower and then the second aircraft. And then of course the Pentagon and then uh, United 93. And I immediately knew um, my life was gonna change because I was gonna step up and do something to make sure that never happened again. So a short time later, just within a few months, I was hired by the Federal Air Marshal Service. And uh, that's when I, my tour with the, with the federal government started. And I started flying undercover on aircraft to make sure that we thwarted another 9-11. So in a nutshell, I've been in law enforcement for a couple of decades. And I still enjoy serving my country and helping my fellow colleagues with issues that are internal. And some of these issues we're going to talk about today that we've had to bring externally to try to get some change and make resolution to what's happening with inside the Federal Air Marshal Service. So I want to make sure that be, what we're going to be discussing right now is so outrageous and so uh, sensitive that people might not even believe it's even happening. So I want you to first tell me your qualifications on, on this. What does it mean to be the executive director of, the, of your field? I want, I want people to know that you're coming from, a, uh, from an authority that knows what what you're talking about and you have studied this i want to make sure that everybody understands that this is this is very important and this is uh, and you are very qualified to be talking about this because this is a very very interesting story well to be the executive director of the air marshal national council first you've either had to have been an uh full-fledged air marshal or you could be a retired air marshal so I was a full-fledged air marshal and I was also a supervisory federal air marshal, which means I ran domestic and international teams of air marshals all over the world. My part was special deployment, special operations of teams of air marshals. So you need to have some qualifications about what the job consists of on a daily basis to work within the Air Marshal National Council, because we also provide legal services. If there's a law enforcement officer that's been involved with the shooting, um, we have legal services through the Air Marshal National Council we provide. If officers have been hurt in the line of duty, we provide services for, for those officers as well. And unfortunately, if someone's killed in the line of duty, we provide services as well. And we also, too, at the Air Marshal National Council, not only do we guard those that are guarding our nation with legal services, we're advocates for them. So when we see wrongdoing within, within inside the agency, first we try to provide corrective agents, at, actions with the agency. We file grievances. We file internal reports to try to get you know, uh, management within the field offices. We have 20 field offices across the nations with air marshals and the Air Marshal National Council has members in every one of those field offices. 
who are active air marshals out there flying every day. So what we do is we take the field work. If there's things that are going on within the field, we try to improve those, that environment and those surroundings. And then we also, we do a lot of work in Congress because we're very concerned about the way our, our mission's being deployed right now and being under this umbrella at the Transportation Security Administration there are a lot of problems uh, that and nefarious actions that are happening within this internal investigation that the air marshals happen to be uh, a small division inside. All right. So now we have laid that out. Let's get into the controversy. So I would like to know, tell me about the six-month-old baby that is being tracked and has been put on the terror watch list. Now, I've put out a tweet saying uh, uh, that I think I was responding to Ashley Sinclair and I said that, by the way, this has been happening. I saw, I saw you on Glenn Beck's program. And I said, by the way, this is something else that has been happening. But I made an error. I said that, it, that the baby was on the no-fly list. The baby's actually on the, on the terror watch list. So I would like you to talk about that. I mean, when, just when you think, I mean, I've seen a lot of crazy things being, in, you know, as an air marshal myself, deployed internationally and domestically, and then, of course, running the, you know, the Air Marshal National Council. But I've never seen anything, I think, as egregious as an eight-week-old baby. The baby just turned eight weeks old. The baby is on the terrorist watch list, meaning the baby's boarding pass will have a designation of four S's. It's called quad S's, which means whenever the baby travels, that baby will have a team of at least three air marshals assigned to the baby for travel. That I mean, that is outrageous. Now, how did this come came to be? What happened was, from my understanding, the father uh, was involved with, um, he went to the Capitol on January the 6th. I don't know if there were criminal charges for a misdemeanor charge. There was something that he was involved with at January 6th, which he could have just stood out on the Capitol grounds. I mean, it seems to me they've thrown a big net out and a lot of people are getting caught in that net, but haven't really committed a crime. But because he was uh, at the Capitol on January the 6th, he is the father of the child. Now, let's think about that. January 6th, 2021. And he he wasn't married at the time. I think this is his fiance. I'm not sure if he's married now, which should it, really shouldn't matter. At the end of the day, the baby was not even conceived or a thought in January 2021. The baby is just now eight weeks old. So because of the father being involved, Everyone on his family, obviously, whether they're married or not married or living in the same state, has been added to this terrorist watch list. And that's to include his eight-week-old baby. So as you mentioned, the child, first of all, the child wasn't even conceived. So this child did not even exist at the time, which is, which is one thing. Then put on top of that, it's a baby. And then on top of that, the, it's the, the baby is now has to suffer because of the father who did not do, as far as we know, any serious crime. And if he did, we need to find out what the crime was. And if it is just parading on the Capitol, I mean, I've said this multiple times. If the, the people who have been paraded on the Capitol, they, should have, they, should have, they are owed to justice, meaning that they should have punishment. But basically, they should be paying a fine. They should know better than not parade on the Capitol. So they just pay a fine for trespassing. But what we have seen happen is... People have been put in prison. People have been denied lawyers, uh, jawbone. Uh, there was one of the prisoners, as far as I know, that that's, whose jawbone was was dislocated. Long story short is that they, it's almost as if 
that they are treating the Trump supporters parading at the Capitol worse than they would the terrorists at Guantanamo Bay. It's almost as if that is happening. Maybe it is happening. I, I mean, best of my knowledge, it is. So anyway, but this is the child have now suffering because of the father's mistakes. How is that even, how is that even allowed? I mean, we, this is the problem with, when you deal with the transportation security administration, they are an administrative agency, federal law enforcement, uh, air marshals are federal law enforcement. So we're, we've got this big administrative component within TSA that they've put the law enforcement element in and it doesn't work that well. Air marshals have to run on USC code. We have to run on federal law. We're not an administrative agency, but because we're within TSA, TSA imposes and pushes their administrative overreach into our law enforcement arena. We disagree. This baby should not be on the list. This this baby should have never been on the list. There's been no human contact with the mother. There's been no interviews with the mother. There's been no vetting of the baby. So this baby now is going to be on this list. And if that baby travels with, let's say, the grandparents, then the grandparents are going to be added to this list because they're traveling with the baby that's already on the list. So if you can see how outrageous this is, because now we're taking three air marshals off a high risk flight or someone that was a proposed threat to an aircraft, and we're going to follow a baby now. It, now, it absolutely makes no sense. So as far as you know, did the baby have any contact with Hamas or the Taliban? Now, that's a rhetorical question. Of course it didn't. Of but, course, no. It, I mean, I mean it's a eight, a eight week baby? Eight How many old. months is that? It's, How many months? Is that? Two months, two months old. Two months. Well, I, I, I guess I misspoke earlier. I, I think I said six months. Anyway, two month old baby. I, I mean, I cannot believe this. Now, with this having happened, is there a possibility, let's say, uh, under, let's just uh, have a hypothetical. Trump wins the election and he finds out about this and, and, he is and he is advised that he should uh, that either either being the executive of the of the federal government or he talks to the executive in charge of the of the decision making at the air marshals is it possible to remove the as you said four s's is it possible to remove that designation on the child or is this like a forever thing and now it's now it's like basic it's basically forever and you can't remove it. Well, normally the normal process, when you have quad S's, when you have four S's on your boarding pass, normally that's a seven year tag that you have on your travel habits. So for seven years, you can stay on this, uh, this watch list. Then after seven years, you go into an eight year probationary period. So you come off the list for seven years, but within the next eight years, if you have any type of conflict at the airport, any type of disagreement with the gate agent and it's logged and you go back into the computer, you go back on that list. So you've got seven years on the list and then eight years on probation. So basically it's a 15 year process by the time you get on the list and, and for you to get out or get off of the list. Um, you can try, there's a redress uh, it, area at TSA that you can go and try to file a claim for a redress and try to state your case possibly to come off of the list. But I guess the baby's mom or dad would have to do that because, you know, the baby can't talk. It's, you know, two months old. The baby can't even walk. So it would have to take a parent to try to maybe have this baby removed off the redress list. 
And this isn't the first time I, as I watched your interview with Glenn Beck, this isn't the first time this has happened. Now, this is the most outrageous case that you've heard of, but you've also mentioned that it happened with a six-year-old boy and a nine-year-old child. Do you have the details on that? Yes, that's correct. There was a, there's a six-year-old boy and a nine-year-old boy that we have followed uh, more than one time, three air marshals on a flight per child um, that we following these children. And these are minors. Their parents do not know. No one knows that we're following these children. It's wait, not. Wait, wait, wait. Wait a minute. The parents don't know that their child is on. They, shouldn't they be notified that, by the way, this is happening. So if you want to appeal, you can appeal. Yes. The, the parents do not know that, that three air marshals are following their children. They have no idea. Wow. That wow, I, I, I'm I'm absolutely speechless because this, I mean, at the very least, this is a minor. The minor can't take care of himself, at least uh, at the very least, legally speaking. So the somebody has somebody who can take care of the situation should be uh, legally speaking should be notified about this. I mean, sometimes sometimes how about this? Let's say it's a mistake. Who's going to address it? Who's going to fix the problem? Well, obviously, it's going to be the parent. So I'm absolutely outraged that. The policy isn't that, okay, in case of a mistake or if there's any other issues, we have to also notify a, a legal guardian or a parent so they could address this properly and have everything sorted out in case of mistakes. I mean, Am I that, wrong? you know, you're, you're right. And that would be common sense, right? When you want to use common sense, you think, I mean, a law enforcement officer can't even interview a juvenile without a parent or a guardian present, right? We can't even speak to them. Period. You know, if there's an investigation, there's rules and regulations on on interviewing minors. So in in the way that we look at this, how it is inappropriate for three air marshals to be following a six year old or a nine year old. And look, we follow other juveniles, too. We have 17 year olds that we follow. I mean, there are other minors, but these are like the most egregious cases that I'm I'm talking to you about because it's just not appropriate uh, for us to be doing that. And. These are the issues we brought forward to Congress. I mean, we've gotten some traction in Congress over some change. But at the end of the day, the individuals that ordered these types of uh, domestic tracking systems on Americans, they need to be fired. I mean, these these men that are doing this in DHS and TSA, they know that they're doing it. They're very, they're very aware that we're tracking minor children and they do not care. They, they do not care that this is happening. As you mentioned earlier about the 17-year-old, I think I, I could, I'm going to justify just a little bit because when it's, with a 17-year-old, they could be up to shenanigans, so they could be put on a no-fly list if they actually did something as serious that would warrant it. But I still think even as a 17-year-old, since they are not legally an adult, an adult should also be there, should also be notified there, uh, whoever takes care of the 17-year-old should be notified that, by the way, your 17-year-old has been put here, put on the no-fly list because of this, this, and that reason, and if you want to appeal, this are these are your options. But with a nine-year-old, I don't think, uh, as far as I know, I can't really think of anything that a nine-year-old would do that would warrant, or uh, let alone a baby of two months, that would warrant them being put on a no-fly list. 70-year-old, that is believable, but I still think the rules has to change just to make sure that the that there is legal up, there's legal uh, space to appeal. But this is. This is so outrageous. So here's the interesting part that I want also to point out. We're not trashing here the air marshals. I think they're doing great. What we are pointing out is that the that there are certain people in the in the government 
for making these kinds of decisions and certain laws that certain red tape and other laws that has been passed that is hampering common sense to prevail. So I just want to make sure that we, that we're not attacking the individuals, individual air marshals. As a matter of fact, as as you pointed out in the previous interview, that they actually they don't they are like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? They themselves are uncomfortable with the situation. Am I correct on that? That you are so correct. And look, they are disgusted by this. And I want you to know internally, they are they are challenging the things that are happening. They're challenging these things in writing. They are they are making their voices known. I mean, we've tried to correct this problem. You know, at first when we, when this was happening, we were like, "Wow, the agency has made a major mistake." They don't want to be following six years old and nine year old children. But then we recognized, no, they didn't make a mistake. They do want to do this. And the air marshals, by no means, let me tell you, these are the finest men and women. They're doing the best job that they can. They are they are being abused every day by TSA. Uh, we've got to get them out of the agency. But I want to let you know the air marshals, they are completely disgusted by what is happening within TSA. Yeah, I will have to also add that for those who can, who don't actually know how to distinguish, the TSA is a bloated bureaucracy that does absolutely nothing to stop any terrorist attacks. They don't even they don't even claim it on their website that they ever did. They didn't stop the shoe bomber. I don't remember other bombers that they didn't stop. It was because of air marshals and good Samaritans that those bomb bombers were stopped, or any other cases that were that was stopped in the process. And the only thing, one of the only things. Actually, there are a few, but let's say, let's say, as Glenn Beck pointed out, the reinforced doors, the bulletproof doors at the cockpit, that is one of the things that was a must. And that was one of the good things that to come, uh, the, one of the good policies to come out after 9-11 and air marshals. They're the ones who are doing the work. The, all, the, all the other bureaucracy within the TSA, the, I don't remember, the, Here's one. I'm going to get off topic just for a moment. There was this one person on the made a viral video showing that he cooked shrimp in the bathroom of the airplane. And it's uh, let's not even talk about that. It's disgusting. Let's just point out that how did he get all the supplies? How did he get all the other things to make to cook and to get all of those things on the airplane? He figured it out. Yet for some reason, there are all kinds of other rules. No, you can't. Your luggage has to be this. I can't. Can't be, uh, can't weigh this much. Yeah, you can't take this on an airplane, that on, a, on an airplane, and it doesn't actually do to stop any terrorism. But the actual thing that stops terrorism is the air marshals. And why am I pointing all of this out? Specifically because our air marshals are now being sent to the southern border. Now, I would like to point, I would like you to say, what is that about? Why are our air marshals being sent down to the southern border? They should be on airplanes, making sure that people stay calm, people do not get rowdy on airplanes, and in the worst case scenario, stopping terrorism. Yeah, we've been fighting this since the Biden administration uh, took over. We've been fighting that they've been taking hundreds of air marshals. Every 21 days, they take hundreds of air marshals off of flights and out of field offices. I said, we have 20 field offices across the nation and they send them down to the Southwest border for a 21 day rotation. And specifically air marshals are not doing law enforcement duties. They were, they were told they would not be doing law enforcement duties. So they're doing perimeter and security checks at facilities. They're driving um, illegals to the hospital. They're standing by with them if they need to get medical treatment. Um, they are helping with food, uh, handing out water, handing out sandwiches. They're, they're doing duties that are nowhere related 
to thwarting a hijacking in an aircraft through a linear assault. So our skills are being utilized for nothing. We're not helping at the border. I mean, look, what are a couple hundred air marshals that aren't doing any law enforcement work? We're having no impact at the border. But where we do have an impact is in our aviation security domain on the aircraft or in the airport looking for the threat before it gets on the plane. But we're totally handcuffed. They've taken our resources and they have just totally abused them and pushed them down to the border and left the American people unguarded. I mean, you're just not guarded. I just will say that. If you're traveling, you are on your own. You better be prepared when you're on, on the flight to look around and try to find a few people that you think you could team up with if something were to happen on that aircraft because you will be alone taking care of a bad situation. I hope that doesn't happen, but people really need to think and they need to be ready when they're flying, knowing all these air violence incidents have happened. We've had razor blades get through security. We've had flight attendants that have been stabbed. I mean, we've had some very serious uh, air security violence incidents and there were no air marshals on board because they were down at the border. So how did that happen? How did they get, what happened with the person who got stabbed? That was a flight attendant. That was uh, United Flight 2609. That was a long haul flight. That flight was from uh, Los Angeles to Boston, which, you know, um, that would be a, a high risk aircraft we should have been on because of the size of the plane. It's going East Coast, West Coast, has a lot of fuel, which would make a big weapon of mass destruction. You know, the 9-11 hijackers took the large aircraft with the most fuel capacity because they made the biggest uh, weapon of mass destruction. Normally we would have, air marshals would have been on that flight, but the individual on that flight, and you can Google it, look, you can Google it and find this, you know, United 2609 flight from Los Angeles to Boston. Um, this individual, we don't know how he got it on the aircraft. He got either a, a metal spoon or some type of piece of metal. He went into the bathroom and made a homemade shank. He came out of the bathroom and uh, there's also video on this as well. There's a lot of video on the internet that you can find in regarding this situation. Went into the cabin, tried to open the exit door twice, um, stood up with the shank in his hand, like, you know, challenging people, like he was going to stab them. And he told them they're all going to die. He's like, I'm taking this aircraft over and you're all going to die. Uh, very scary situation. No air marshals were on board. He took off down the aisle and tried to go to the front of the cabin. At that point, one of the flight attendants got and tried to subdue him. He stabs the flight attendant. Um, I don't know if it punctured the neck or it, I know that it hit the flight attendant a couple of times around the throat area. Don't know how much damage that did. Then you had three passengers that, of course, you know, they thought, oh, my God, we're at another 9-11. What are we going to do? And, and two of those were really big guys. They wrestled this guy to the ground. Um, they got him down on the ground. They were able to use the flexi cuffs, you know, because aircraft, they carry the, the flexi cuffs, the plastic cuffs. They got flexi cuffs on him. He broke both sets of flexi cuffs. That's how strong he was. This guy was, I mean, he, it was a very difficult situation. There were um, people on the plane calling home saying that they weren't sure they were going to make it because they thought immediately of another 9-11. What's going to happen? You know, we've got nobody here assisting us, but these, you know, these brave men that got up and tried to tackle this guy. Now, this, in, this incident went on for over 20, 20 minutes on the aircraft before they could get the plane landed. The one thing that was really scary about this, the two gentlemen that jumped in, they were bouncers. They were kind of big guys. They were completely winded. They almost could not hold him and control him. He got up 
and kept trying to run. He was biting people on the aircraft. I mean, this was a, this was like an all-out brawl on the airline. This sounds it, like it may have been. I, I, I'm going to speculate here, and I think I, I don't think that this actually happening. But what you are describing right now, it kind of sounds like somebody who was under some kind of substance, being over, uh, being too powerful, uh, biting people, being very violent doing all all these kinds of things it kind of sounds like you're what you're describing to me i would the first thing i think of is somebody who's under some kind of substance now i i'm sure um, this may not be maybe it, i don't think that the, that the person actually managed to get something on uh, by security but has that been ruled out as a possibility they have closed we we can't get access to the investigation i know that an individual has been charged and he has been sentenced to jail the individual that did this and you're right i mean he was an emotionally disturbed person. That's what we call an EDP, emotionally disturbed person. But we don't know if he was on actual substances or not. He didn't have any alcohol. The flight attendant didn't serve him any alcohol. But it doesn't mean he wasn't on uh, some type of substance. But and the point of that story is after this story, after this news article broke, I had passengers from the aircraft reach out to me. They found me on social media because. I had been on a lot of the news media saying, hey, we're having these increased aircraft violence incidents. These are serious. I mean, people are getting weapons on planes. We had one man that had a razor blade and held it to a woman's throat through the entire flight. And I was on TV exposing this, saying that we needed our air marshals off the border and in the aircraft. Well, the passengers reached out to me. Several of them reached out to me on social media. And we had conference calls and I've worked with them and they've, I've actually become very close with them. But I have to tell you, it really hurt my heart as an air marshal to know that our American travelers went through such a critical incident, very stressful, very scary. And the whole time that we had the resources that that could have been prevented. So it very it, it made me very upset. And that's why we fight today is to try to keep pushing towards some type of resolution where somebody with common sense is going to come back and put the air marshals on the plane so they can guard people when they're traveling and they can get from point A to point B safely. How is this not a scandal or at the very least talked about? I mean, the moment when I found out about, when I listened to your, to your interview with Glenn Beck, when I found that out, I was, I was, I watch a lot of stuff and I listen to a lot of podcasts and, you know, it goes through in and out, in and out, you know, you get, you find out a lot of interesting things, but this actually paused me. And I was like, this this is not a serious this is not something to be taken lightly this is very serious because as you said this could be the next 911 attack could happen just like that and and I want everybody to remember the terrorists the people who are planning in another 911 they know this i mean they they are updated on the news they're updated on on policy they check out these kinds of things and they're like oh wait a minute the air marshals are now at the southern border well guess where i'll be so they know what's going on. It's not like it's some kind of covert thing. Okay, we're going to send the air marshals down to the southern border. Nobody is actually going to know about this. And this is not going to be discussed. So everybody still thinks there are air marshals on the airplanes or enough air marshals on the airplanes. This is something that that, that is easy to find out, but nobody's talking about it. So how is this not a bigger scandal? It, it, it Look, we've been screaming at the top of our lungs since 2021 when this started. I mean, you can go back and look, we've we've been to Congress. We were just in Congress about a week and a half ago. I mean, we need oversight. I mean, thank God for the Air Marshal National Council and my group, because, you know, we're patriots. We're going to make sure the right thing's done for national security. We're not a union. We don't go along to get along with management. We call ourselves the great uh, transition because 
we want national security transition back to where it keeps American travelers safe. And we're not right there right now. So we, we're not, you know, we're kind of a different breed when it comes to an association. We don't mind putting things in the media or going out to the press to let them know uh, our oversight's not happening the way that it should be. We need more oversight. And we need these men that have done this, that have tracked babies and then have taken our resources and put on the border. Those men need to be fired and barred from government service for life. They should never be allowed to be a government employee again. I mean, I I absolutely agree with you. And so what is happening right now at the southern border, sending down our air marshals to take care and not even do. Here's the funny thing. It's basically what is happening here is people are getting trained to be air marshals, thinking they would be doing the job of an air marshal. They invest money, time and personal skill and everything. They invest into this one job because they want to be really good at this. They want to be the best of the best. And then they find out, oh, actually, you're going to be doing work that literally anybody could do. You're going to be driving around the illegals. You're going to be handing out sandwiches. You're going to be doing things that you don't you don't need the skills that you're training for. And we're not even going to utilize. So you you have to train for something that you're not, you're not even going to do. So this this entire thing that I, I'm, it's hard for me to comp, to compartmentalize why this is being allowed and why there aren't being any, why no consequences are being handed out here. So, and I would also like to touch on this, that we're now letting in, we've seen the border is basically open. They're cutting open wires, letting in the, letting in illegals. And now they're sending out hundreds of thousands of illegals on airplanes and they're not being vetted. They are not being, um, what else? They're not being vetted. They're not medical. Medical yeah, screenings. Anyway, they're not being in any way vetted or being checked for anything. They're just being flown out. And I remember the last time we had foreigners who were not properly vetted and we didn't know their intentions flying airplanes. And we know what happened, 9-11. So I don't think that, I mean, hostile foreigners, just to, just to clear that up. So this, what are we, at the very least, on those airplanes, are we having any any air marshals there to, because this is, as a matter of fact, this is an increased security risk, the airplanes itself. So are there any air marshals on those flights? Um, I will, I will, I'll give you a metric here. Uh, in, in one of the airports where the 9-11 hijackers took two aircraft, I won't name the airport itself, recently because of our depleted resources being on the border and following the uh, January 6, 2021 people, whether they committed the crime or not, we have dropped 73% of international high-risk missions. That's right, 73% of our missions are going without an air marshal on board because our, our resources are depleted doing things that are more for a political agenda and not for national security. So we're on the border or following J6 people, and we have taken our eyes off the prize when it comes to keeping these high-risk flights safe. So. That, that'll kind of give you an idea of how bad it really is. 78? 73%. 73%? 73%. So this is a major category X airport that the hijackers targeted this specific airport back on 9-11. And 73% wow. we've dropped our high-risk international missions we are not flying. That, so that's basically, so the rest of the, I would, so what does that mean? That means that there are no air marshals any, on any of those flights? Correct. 
I mean, this is this is prime this is prime field for a, for a terrorist to decide. Hey, we could. Uh, I mean, they're not even trying to stop us at this point. So this is this is basically open season for them to figure out. Ju- they just need the brain power, and they will. I mean. God forbid they could be very successful in figuring out hell they could do something even much more bigger than what happened in 9/11. I mean, at the, at this point they see that the this is an administration openly hostile towards Trump supporters or people who are on January 6 and you and the evidence is basically right there. I mean, who puts a 2-month old on a terror watch list, not even the no-fly list, on a terror watch list which a 2-year sorry, 2-month old wasn't even conceived. Who even by mistake, they would be. They should be embarrassed. Being, oh, sorry, we made a mistake, and that's a huge embarrassment. We will be fixing that immediately. Nothing is happening. There's no consequences. So this is a administration openly hostile towards its own citizens. So, with that keeping in mind, I mean, they are. It's almost as if they're giving more rights to illegal aliens than they are to Amer- to American citizens. And Amer- mind you, American citizens they have to show ID, they have to show passports, they have to show all kinds of things. And as a matter of fact, not too long ago, I remember not too long ago, they wanted to make that you had to have the COVID vax uh, mm-hmm. if you wanted to travel, you had to, and you had to wear a mask. But nowadays, yeah, we're just going to let it anybody from anywhere and not even vet them, not going to look at it, check if they are, if they're carrying some kind of disease. And, and we don't even care if, it, if they are, might, might be dangerous people. I mean, the air marshal should be following people who are openly hostile to the United States not two-month-old kids. I mean, look, I mean, our, our whole job, you know, we train in a linear environment. Think about an aircraft. Think about being in the tube of an aircraft. And you have a team of men and women who are going to be there to thwart a hijacking. And there's only two ways to take over an aircraft, right? That's violence of action or with the bombing. That's the only two ways that you can take over an aircraft. So our skills are... Um, trained for those type of scenarios, right? That's where we're supposed to be. And we don't have anyone that we can backfill and bring into those positions to surge or, 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 or backfill while we're gone. So that's why it's so critical. I mean, for you to be able to operate at 35,000 feet with, when you're armed with weapons and have a successful outcome, you need your teams there on the aircraft working together in that environment to ensure that that aircraft lands safely and nobody on that plane gets injured. And our ability to do that, you know, we've we've guarded against another 9-11 for 22 years now, 22 years. But I can tell you right now, there's a lot of issues to where there's days that I wake up and I see things on TV about the aircraft. And I'm telling you, there's days that I don't want to wake up and see what's going to happen because they're going to come back and take our aircraft. They're going to try. I mean, they're already talking about hostile actions, ISIS and Al-Qaeda, right? Let's let's talk about those names. We want to talk about, you know, two-month-old babies and six-year-old boys. Let's talk about uh, ISIS and Al-Qaeda. If anybody thinks that they're not strong and powerful and still working out there to try to hurt America, they are. I mean, Christopher Wray just briefed at the Senate Judiciary Committee that every area that he's looking at is blinking red for another attack. Well, what is, what is the coup de grace? The aviation industry is the coup de grace. That's what they took last time. They're going to want to take it again. So we're, you know, thank you for having us on here today because we need everybody listening to these podcasts and listening to the message that's out there and, and let them know that we have got to make some significant changes 
or we are definitely going to lose this war that we're in right now in trying to keep you safe when you travel. And it's amazing. Think about it this way. We are sending billions of dollars to Israel and billions of dollars to Ukraine. And for, and you mentioned earlier that we don't have, for some reason, we can't find the resources for the air marshals. How does that make any sense? I mean, it's I've seen a lot of arguments, and these are very valid arguments, about we shouldn't be sending money to other countries because we have our own homeless, our own poor, our own people, that we should be taking care of them first. But this also extends to our own administrative state, which has gotten too big, but if it's going if it's going to be this big, and if it's going to do if it's going to do its job correctly, it should at the very least be well supplied and well a well oiled machine with well trained personnel. But but what you are saying is that there that they are not being supplied well enough, and they have been about as you said seventy three percent of flights. They're not even operating on seventy three percent of flights. So. Yeah. What would you what would you say to the people on those seventy three percent of flights? What would you say to those people to be ready if something like that happens? What are your recommendations to make sure if something like this happens, how to stop it? You, first of all, I'd say ring your call bell if you see something that's going on that's super strange, right? Because the aircraft are pretty big. You have to think there's several hundred people on the aircraft. If you see something that's not right, please ring your call button and get the flight attendants, you know, attention first. If something continues to, to disintegrate and it gets worse and worse with the behavior, just like we were talking about with United 2609, this individual stood up and he said he's going to take the cockpit over and he tried to char charge to the cockpit. I mean, there's a point that you're going to have to look around and, and find a group, you know, look for, for people that would be willing to help, look for people that are, you know, able-bodied to help you. Uh, it could be men or women. It doesn't have to be, it's not about the gender. Are, there, are they going to be able to help you contain or control a person uh, in the air until you can get them on the ground? I mean, that's kind of what you have to prepare for when you're traveling. That's what I prepare for when I travel. I always look around to see where my exits are. I always look around to see who's getting on the plane. I always look around to see where the flight attendant station is in relations to my seat. Um, so you have to be, number one, you have to just be uh, vigilant and look around and know your surroundings. That's the first thing that you need to do. Well, and if such a case does happen, what would you recommend? Would what would you say would be the fastest way of eliminating such a threat? Say, um, at what point, let's say there's a hijacking in progress, and let's say you have like uh, this is one example, hijacking in progress. You have let's say two assailants, one ha one with a knife, the other one with uh, some other sharp tool, taking one hostage, and they want to get into the cockpit. Would you say that uh, that such a in such a case? The risk of the hostage, any harm being taken to the hostage, is it worth risking that in order to save the entire plane? Because whatever is going to happen from that point could be even much more worse. I mean, they could crash into commercial buildings and thousands of people could die. This is one hostage and you have to you have to weigh what what is... How, nobody wants to be in such a situation. But would you recommend somebody taking action, quick action, decisive action, which might end up in da in damage to the hostage? Would you say that you have to you have to make sometimes some such calculations calculations and be ready to do something like this? Well, I mean, a few things a few things changed after nine eleven. You know, pre nine eleven, the captains were told just to open the cockpit door. So if somebody was taken hostage in the cabin. Uh, they're t they were told then to open the cockpit door and comply with wait, with the hijackers. Wait. Why? What? That doesn't make any sense. I, I know because before, before 9-11, most everyone 
took a plane to try to defect or they, they wanted to go to another country. They didn't take a plane to kill anyone. Most people were using the plane as a mode of transportation to defect to another country. So that was pre 9-11. So let's go to post 9-11 now, because we know that that was the ruse that the hijackers used to get into the cockpits, right? They used a ruse to get into the cockpits. The captains now have been instructed, no matter what is happening in the back of the aircraft, they cannot open the cockpit door. Oh, okay. So now it's, it has been changed that they don't. Oh, okay. That's good. So, and here is what I was about to say that, well, you just said that it should be like this. And furthermore, what I believe that there should be no communication between the cockpit and the, and the people inside the airplane, because if such a situation happens, I want to make sure that the terrorist knows that there's no way that they are communicating to the pilot. So this airplane is not going to, is not going to divert track. It's not going to open the cockpit. Basically, what you're doing is you're just taking a hostage, and as soon as this plane lands, you're gonna be held account- accountable for the, your you're gonna be held accountable for your actions. So, I would have to say that I'm glad that that at least we have some common sense of making sure that they're not going to open the cockpit in such a situation. So that is so that is good. that answers my previous question on if such a situation they want to get into the cockpit. Okay, so what you are recommending is that it wouldn't be worth it to risk the the life of the of a hostage in such a case because this airplane is not going to the cockpit is not going to be opened anyway they're not going to open it they they will is, you will not get that they will not open the cockpit door and and that is you know and that's why the air marshals are so important in the back of the plane right i mean what captain wants to keep the door closed knowing that his flight crew is going to be you know harmed greatly because he's not going to open the door but they do know that and that's why it's so important for the air marshals to be in the aircraft, because then we protect, you know, the passengers and the other crew members who are back there because the pilot and the co-pilot are going to be just fine because they're not opening the door. It's everybody that's behind the door that's going to be, you know, looking for something really bad to happen to them uh, because the hijackers are going to use people. They're going to, you know, they're going to do brutal tactics to try to get that door open. But the captain or the co-pilot is not going to do it. As somebody who is very well versed in these laws, very well versed in the situation that we find ourselves in, I would like to know what is your estimate that another 9/11 terrorist attack or something similar to that would happen? And I want, and mind you, I want to add something before before you answer. I would like to add that as I read Ann Coulter's book *Adios America*, I think it was there where in 1986 they granted amnesty under Chuck Schumer when he was back in the House and he was a congressman. He, they passed an amnesty for farmers, illegal aliens, that they should be, that they should, farmers should have more able-bodied men to work. And they promised, oh, the farmers would go out of business if they don't pass this amnesty. And they did. And two of the 9-11 terrorist attackers were in that, were included in that amnesty. So this is how dangerous, this is exactly what's happening here. They're letting in illegal aliens to get into the country. And then they are just planning for the next amnesty. And after that next amnesty, or even beforehand, some terrorist attack could happen. So as somebody who's well-versed in the subject, I would like to know what would be, if, if you want to, what would be your estimate that something like this, another 9-11 terrorist attack or a, an attempted terrorist attack happens? You know, I, we, we sit on a razor blade every day. I have to be honest with you. Um, I've never felt so like you can, you know, have you ever felt something that's going to happen in your bones? Like you kind of, you can feel the energy changing. You can feel the atmosphere not going well. I can tell you when it comes to aviation security, 
not only myself, but my colleagues, we, we speak every day. I have air marshals that, you know, their own details are calling me from the border. They're calling me following J6 folks. And every one of us can feel it. It's like this gnawing uh, component in your, in your stomach, right? That, you know, something really bad is going to happen. And we know that they're going to try to take an aircraft because they want to outdo bin Laden, right? That's the, that's the coup de grace for them to outdo bin Laden. The next group is one of going to do something even worse than that. So, um, and we, you know, we can do something to stop this though. This is the thing that I know that if we can get some oversight and we can get some actionables done now and get the air marshals off the border, we can definitely, uh, it's not too late is what I'm saying. It's not too late for us to do something, but we need uh, people to take action in Congress and oversight. And we need, we need a new president because under president Biden, our whole uh, agency has failed. The air marshal program has been a complete failure underneath his lead. So we've got to make some significant changes. And by the way, this is not a big program. You know, we're a small program and we're such a needed program. Uh, TSA has got about 65,000 employees. The air marshal program is less than 3000 people. And that's not air marshals. That's all, you know, staff and support staff. So when you talk about a lean and mean workforce, we're, we're a very small component, but the work that we do is so valuable. It's just unbelievable that they've gutted our chances at stopping another 9-11 in order to send us to the border um, and follow J6ers. It's really, it's really sad, it's scary, and it's very dangerous, the decisions that have been made in the last three years. You know, as we're talking, this just crossed my mind that since the Biden administration won't support our own American citizens and is willing to put them in harm's way, I would say that why aren't the the airport security, sorry, the airliners, the the big companies, why aren't they hiring security? So since you're not going to do the job, at least, I mean, we are going to do our job. Why? How about this? This is what I'm saying. So uh, we discuss, and hopefully this this episode goes viral so people just know. Just because people should know about this, this is very important. And when people find out, and let's say the Biden administration, they've been notorious for not doing the will of the people. So since you're not going to do the will of the people, people should go out and start protesting these huge airline companies, telling them, listen, the administration is not is not providing security. This is your airlines. These are your airplanes. As far as I know, there is. Maybe there are some, maybe they don't actually own the airplanes, but it's their airline. It's their company. You should have your own security on there and you should do the job that the government is doing because you should be protecting us. So is that something, would you, would you say that? that it is could be done. That- it, it, yeah. it, it definitely could be done. Let me tell you, there's a little program called the Airport Security Officer. It's called an ASO. And any aircraft private um, that flies into the National Capital Region, that flies into uh, D.C. area, is required to have what they call an armed service officer, an ASO, on the plane. So there's already a requirement for private air- aircraft going into the D.C. area. So the airlines, potentially, they could build their own internal air marshal program, you know, internally, just like we run it for the federal government. But the thing about it, uh, if it was controlled in the private industry, I think it would be much better because, you know, the the, the airlines are, are so much more um, customer based, let's say, in such a way that they want to ensure that their customers, you may not know the air marshal on the plane, but the ground security people for the air, airplane do know that you're there. So I think it would be an added protection. And I think the airlines could do it if they wanted to. 
Yeah, I, I will just also add that, uh, of course, such if something like this happens, it should obviously be a very updated, a very well-oiled machine. And I do believe that, that there should be some government standard, same way the government regulates all kinds of things that, to make sure that keeps people safe, although it's not doing that well of a job anyway. But of course, there should be some kind of standard applied to the to if if they're going to actually start hiring people for security, they should be well, they should be well trained. And there should be some government standard to make sure that these people do exactly what they have to do. So here's another question. And this actually goes back to what we discussed earlier, that they are now following January six people. Are they even trained to do that? I mean, like, I mean, how about this? This is basically my question. It's kind of to me. It kind of sounds like you would take you will take people from the Department of Transportation and say, "Oh, okay, now you have to start following January six people." I mean, they're they're they are trained in transportation. They're not trained in following people. So, as far as I know, are they actually trained and made to do this kind of job? Well, we do have a lot of surveillance training because you know when we're uh, domestically and internationally there we before the Biden administration we did we used to track some real bad guys I mean some real like what we call a KST a known suspected terrorist so you do have to have some surveillance skills in order to stay with them in the airport stay with them when they're leaving the airport grounds so we are tra- we're trained to surveil to surveil uh, people and gather information and intelligence and then report that back right whether it's uh, through photographs through um listening to conversations, getting close enough to someone to see what's on their computer. So we do have those skills and we're trained to do that. But what the part of that is, is that is those skills are only supposed to be used for a, a, you know, a foreign enemy. They're not supposed to be used for a two month old baby, right? They're not supposed to be used for a six year old child. I mean, it's not ethically, correct it's not logically correct and it's not legal we don't feel we've challenged tsa we feel that what they're doing with the january 6th and this aggressive targeting we feel that that is illegal and it shouldn't be done so and the air marshals are upset over it i mean think about this they know uh by the way air marshals we have never followed uh, a black lives matter person we've never followed an antifa person but we have followed a lot of the J6 people, whether they were at the Capitol or not during this time. So look at how this political pendulum looks to the air marshals who are in there doing the job right now. If you are a Trump supporter, you're going to be targeted by the Transportation Security Administration. So can you see the chilling effect that that has also to the employees with inside the agency, basically saying, if you support Trump, we're going to find a way we can, we can discipline you. We're going to violate people's rights on the outside. What do you think that makes employees think on the inside of what TSA would do to them? It's, it's absolutely astounding. And as you said, it, this must, this is purely an abuse of power and this is not within their perimeter or with their, yeah, this is not within their perimeter perimeter on what they are supposed to do. They should be following people, as you said, who are terrorists or even uh, even domestic uh, people, uh, American citizens who are a national security threat. They should be following them. But instead, they are being utilized as some kind of law enforcement to go after Trump supporters. Why? Because they paraded on Capitol grounds. I mean, it's it's so astounding that a an administration as contemptible it is as this is towards its citizens is allowed to exist and 
as far as I know, how many? Le- I mean, you said that there are legal challenges, be- legal challenges being filed against it by your own organization and others. Mm-hmm. But is this something that is a big movement forward? forward trying to challenge this or is this mostly hushed up and only certain people who know about about it are the only ones suing because i believe that basically any any trump supporter or any january 6th defendant who marched on the capitol and is now being tracked they find out they're being tracked they should be able to go and sue and say hey by the way if you go first of all you should have no right following me but even if you do, you cannot do it through this agency. If you're going to do it, you have to do it through the proper agency. And which, by the way, you shouldn't be in the first place because I'm not a terrorist. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, anybody, I, I feel that any American that has had those quad S's on their boarding pass who has gone through this nightmare of not being able to check in at the mobile check-in station at the airport, you can't take your bags and check them anymore. You're going to get escorted to the screening checkpoint. You're going to get uh, patted down and extra measures done to you at the airport. Then you're going to get escorted to the gate. Then when you're at the gate, they're going to pull you out of the line in front of everybody else to make everybody on the plane think that you're some type of really, really bad person. They're going to go back through your luggage. And then you're going to have three air marshals on your flight. I mean, look at the amount of resources that are it takes to coordinate those type of movements. So I would say anyone that's got a quad S on their boarding pass, I would love to see a class action suit against the Transportation Security Administration for violating people's rights. So that was, would be something, and I would provide documents and anything that I had over to any law firm or any attorney, because we have a lot regarding uh, any type of legal action. But internally, we've got two lawsuits going internally with the air marshals right now. We filed with the DHS Office of Inspector General. That's the highest place that you can go within DHS, Joseph Kaferre regarding fraud, waste, and abuse. We think every bit of the, what the TSA is doing is committing fraud, waste, and abuse, and they're using taxpayer money to do it. So that investigation, we hope, will be done, I'm hoping, around the beginning of the year, the first of the year, and I'll be glad to help re- release the results when we get that from the internal investigation that we filed. But also recently, we were on Capitol Hill, and, and I have to tell you, Representative Clay Higgins, what a great representative. He's out of Louisiana. And uh, he's going to take this, he's, he's taking up the issues that we brought forward to him. We've provided documents and evidence. Uh, we've got the receipts. We don't say anything that we can't prove. Um, there's enough here that to make something up or the drama of it, it's bad enough in clear cut picture of the way that we're talking right now. This is exactly what's happening in the agency. So we've got some, we've got some high hopes for uh, Representative Clay Higgins and his digging into this. There's some clips and some media that he's done recently regarding this issue that we're talking about today that I'll send you the link over that I would recommend that everybody watch um, that wants to watch his podcast, make a link to that. And then you'll see that we finally found someone who number one is going to listen. And he listened completely to the entire story that we told him regarding uh, what we've been fighting since 2021 with border deployments and the J6 surveillance. And uh, I do believe he is going to be the one that's going to bring this forward and make sure that all America knows what's happened. Now, this may not be in your purview, but you are an educated person and you probably have read the Constitution. You probably are, you know, some laws that could that pertain to this question question. So as we discussed, this is a pure abuse of power. So among all the other thousands of reasons Joe Biden should be impeached. Could this be a 
Could this also be grounds for impeachment against Joe Biden for abusing his power, misallocating resources towards things that it's not supposed to do? And just as, as I just said, just plainly abuse of power. Is that is that something that could be grounds for an impeachment? Well, we have we have evidence that we would su- we would supply for grounds of impeachment because we have put uh, President Biden on notice more than once. Uh, we've kept him in the loop every time that we've gone to DHS Secretary uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, TSA Administrator David Pekoski, the men that are that are launching these political initiatives. But yet, you know, we, we've gone to Biden numerous times and we have documents and evidence to prove that we've gone to the president and said, look, we need an intervention. We've got to get back to basics. We're, we're supposed to thwart hijackings. We're air marshals. We can't be on the border. We should be doing the, de- the du- duties that we were trained to do, especially at a critical time in our, our nation. I mean, look, we're almost in World War III. Look around. I mean, we, there's threats everywhere all over the world and especially here in, in the United States. But it's almost like we're going to Biden to tell him to stop the two men that support his campaign and that he made, you know, a TSA administrator, you know, after the administrator started following the January 6 people, he became the, the acting DHS secretary in January 20th of 21. So both of these men, um, Alejandro Mayorkas and Pekoski, They've reaped so many benefits by violating the rights of the American people. They've been rewarded for their behavior. I don't. I don't think they're afraid at all. So, what you're saying is that there, this could be actual grounds for impeachment on Joe Biden. Is there anybody else uh, under which under which authority are you under under the under DHS or D- you're under DHS? Yep, right? we are under we are under DHS. So this could be impeachment for Alejandro Mayorkas. This could be impeachment because David Pekoski is Senate confirmed. Uh, this man needs to be removed from TSA and never allowed to work within the government again. Uh, he has taken up this political witch hunt against uh, people that were in the National Capital Region in January 2021. This person is rotten to the core. These men are evil. And there's nothing good that's going to come out of having them stay into a situation to where you know that they are in there for political grift. That's all they're doing. It's amazing. So what you're saying is this is grounds for impeachment against Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas. And the third guy you should you said should just be removed. Uh, I what is the name again? I'm trying to David, remember what it's David Pekoski, P-E-K-O-S-K-E, Pekoski. Pekoski. Got it. So he should be removed and the other two should be impeached. So here's the I think this could be the last question is that. Do you think that this is from on top? In other words, what I'm trying to ask is, do you think that this is directly from Biden saying to Alejandro Mayorkas, by the way, you should do this and and that that's basically it? Or do you think that this is just Alejandro Mayorkas on his own, on his own, just deciding, you know what? It's very important to let in by the orders of the Democrat Party. It's very important to let in as many as le- illegals as possible. So in order to do that, I'm just going to jeopardize American American citizen safety on airplanes and just use this. I have this agency under me so I can just, you know, reallocate as I want. So would you say that would you do you think that this is directions under Biden himself or his handlers, whoever control him? Or would you say that it is just something since we want to bring in as many illegals, we're just going to decide we're just going to reallocate the the air marshals to do things that they are that they're not supposed to. 
I mean, at this point, I look at this as a criminal conspiracy. I think they're all as guilty as the other. It To me, it doesn't, you know, Biden definitely understands what's going on. He's fully aware of what's happening at the border. He's fully aware of what's happening in the air marshal program. And then he's got these other people, um, uh, Mayorkas and Pekoski, that just continue to, you know, conspire to violate people's rights. I mean, to me, it's a criminal conspiracy. And I hope that at some point there'll be a high court that they will be held accountable to for what egregious actions that they've committed against the American people, because they are un-American. I have to tell you what I've witnessed in my decades of law enforcement. I've never seen such un-American actions toward American citizens and people in my life as what I have in these last three years under TSA. This is absolutely troubling. And remind, uh, I want to remind everybody, you are saying this as as coming from a very a very good authority, coming from somebody who knows what you're talking about, and just the one story which I, I still can't get a, can't get it out of my mind. The two month old child, that is one thing that I still can't get out of my mind. So this is under this what you are saying is not to be taken lightly, and you're you're being very very very. Uh, reasonable with what you're saying, because the things that you're saying, some people might say, oh, well, that's outrageous. You shouldn't be saying things like that. You're coming from a ve- from a well-versed place. You know exactly what you are talking about, and people need to know that. Well, anyway, it was great having you here. I appreciate what you're doing, and we're both passionate about this. I'm glad that we had this conversation, and people should obviously share this episode. But before we get to that, I want first uh, people are who are now very interested in what's going on. They want to know more. They want to know where they can find you at. Where can they follow you at? Well, you can hit me up on Twitter. Um, it's my last name and first name. It's Labasco Sonia on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow the fams underscore AMNC on Twitter. And I can send you the links as well if you want to post those. And then our website is airmarshalnc.com. If you want to come on our website and check out some of the things we're doing, uh, you're more than welcome to do that. Um, but Hey, we need the power. We need the power of your platform and the power of everybody else's platform to spread the word so people understand what how bad it is in this country right now and how seriously in danger our air marshal program is. And we need we need people to share this and be loud about it. Uh, we, we're not going to be able to make any change if we sit back and be quiet. So we got to we got to make a loud, loud noises right now in regards to what's happening. All right. Before I end this episode, I want to catch you on the other side. So I'm just going to now. Say, um, tell people where they can find me, and I just want you to stay on. All right, so for those who want to follow me, you can follow me at Aaron Politodoxy on Twitter or on Aaron Friedman on Instagram or politodoxy at gmail.com. That is my email address. Please share this episode, leave five stars, and on that is on Spotify. You can also leave a comment on Spotify. Also, for twi- for actually for YouTube, please subscribe, leave a like, leave a comment. This helps out with the algorithm. More people need to see this. So when you are doing what you are doing here is going to help people seeing this. If you want to help out, this is how you help. And the most important, share. This is the, I think that would be the fastest way people see this. And thank you very much for listening and remember and watching as a matter of fact. And thank you, my fellow radicals. And remember my fellow radicals, stay political.